0: Navigating love is a pursuit that unifies us all. It's hard at the best of times, but you throw in a pandemic and a relationship that spans between Sydney and New York, and the growing up with the expectations of a Chinese Italian families and things get really interesting. I'm Ali Hill, and welcome to Stand Out Life, a podcast dedicated to living boldly amongst the busyness and the uncertainty and the unknown of our world. Linda Mariano is an Australian television and radio presenter. She's a podcaster, musician and DJ best known for her work on Triple J. Linda has built a career out of performing for other people in her day job as an on-air presenter or in her family home she has contorted herself over the years into the cool girl or the good girl and has explored how to do things differently. Exploring how to wrestle with a long-distance love and learning more about herself in her key relationships, including her relationship with her mother, has become the pursuit of Linda's expression. Her podcast, Tough Love, is a podcast production masterpiece. If you haven't come across it, then we're going to put all the links in the show notes and make sure you find the time to tune in. Linda has also written about love and her pursuits in her book, Love Language, which explores all of these themes. In this conversation, we chat about the vocabulary of love, the importance of holding expectations really loosely, learning how to express really openly and honestly what we want and the ways that we like to be loved, and the importance of weaving the threads of creativity and true presence in order to allow love to grow. Linda also shares the importance of stir-fry moments in amongst the unknown and uncertainty that you might be looking ahead. I could not have loved this conversation anymore. Personal, practical, insightful and relevant for all who dance with love. Soak up this conversation with Linda Mariano. Linda, it is so great to be chatting with you.
1: It is so nice to speak to you, Ali. Thank you for having me. Look, there's so many
0: twists and turns and topics I want to dive into with you, but we're chatting today. You are sitting in LA. We're going to talk a little bit about the story of getting to LA, but how are you finding life over there?
1: I mean, it was the almost end goal of where I wanted to be. If you've listened to the Tough Love podcast, if you've dived into the Love Language book at all. It's almost like this moving plot line of me being in Australia for an extended period of time and wanting to get to my long distance partner who's based in LA. And now I'm here, I'm on the other side. And, you know, LA is a a strange and wonderful place. It's very different to Australia. And I feel like I'm learning that as the weeks unfold. It's like I get to have such a fun, wonderful, cosy life here with my partner. But at the same time, you're also in Hollywood. So it's like I spotted JLo and Ben Affleck yesterday as we were walking out of a hotel and I was like, wow, I forget that I live here, <laughs> you know. It's fun.
0: It's so interesting. Sometimes when we have goals and they're really big ones mm. and we'll talk a little bit about the anticipation and the expectation mm. of length of time and the barriers that were put into place to get to LA, there's a beautiful poet, David White, and he talks about when we come closer towards achieving our goal or getting to the end of where we want to get to, sometimes that thing changes or our expectations mm. of that change. You know, you know, we, we think that'll be it and we're in the kind of finale and yet life continues <laughs> After we get to that moment, what are the things that have, I guess, met your expectations or been aligned to what you were hoping for? And has there been anything where you've gone, oh, I didn't picture that?
1: (laughs) Mm. That's so funny that you talk about expectations because it is definitely something that I've thought about so much in the last couple of years. Just this feeling of what it is to have expectations, what it is to have plans, And what it is to let go of those expectations in order, I think, for me personally, to live a happier way in a day-to-day way as well, Mm. because I've just found that through expectations, it kind of fuels that sort of hope, disappointment, strange thing Mm. that we struggle with sometimes. I think in terms of what has met the expectations, for want of a better term, of like being over here has been the ultimate kind of joy and delight that I have being able to not be in a long-distance relationship anymore, like all of those things that you don't want to hinge your anticipation and expectation on but you just think like, oh, my God, all those years that I was long-distance or where I was stuck in Australia longer because of COVID, and you think, wouldn't it just be so great to sit on the couch and have pizza with my boyfriend? You know, will I ever get there? Mm. What will it be like if I ever get there? To get to that point, there was a part of me that deep down went, Linda, you're going to move the goalpost. You're going to get there and you're going to change it. You're going to go, this isn't good enough. I'm going to think of something else, the next thing that mm-hmm. will get there. And and I think I've had to learn to stop myself in those thoughts and go, no, you, you've actually got to be grateful to just get there, to have dinner at home with your partner who for years you could only ever do that over video calls and where you just had no way of seeing each other again. So for me, hitting that kind of expectation and feeling that just fucking joy at the end of the day of being together, that's really, really matched it. And that has lingered. Now that I've been here for, you know, coming up to a year, I'm like that feeling, that happiness is still there.
0: That must be a sense of relief in some ways. Uh Oh,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. Like we live in this world of, you know, if this, then that. Mm. If I get this job, then I'll be happy. If I, you know, can go on this date with this person, then they're going to become my love of my life or something. And just kind of trying to unlearn a, a bit of that, I think has really, really helped me. I think
0: that's true for for all of us, whatever that is, is almost to hold that picture of what it looks like loosely. And then when those little moments arrive, even as you're describing, you know, that desire, the dream of sitting on the couch and having pizza with your boyfriend, with the person that you physically, Mm. you know, couldn't see for a number of years because of COVID you know, it's human nature to go, but the couch isn't right or the pizza's not hot enough or it's this isn't what I (laughs) pictured.
1: Totally, totally. I think it's like been such a maturing of, yeah, just holding, as you said, holding those things loosely. I think it's been so nice to have the goal and to know that I wanted to be over here but I even remember being at the airport and sending a voice message to one of my really close friends and my whole family and my friends were kind of rallying around me you know I'd seen them I'd said goodbye to them in Australia and they're all like you must be so excited to finally get over there you must be you must be feeling so amazing so excited you're finally there you're finally moving to LA and I remember almost feeling this sense of dread like oh my God, what if it's not enough? Mm. What if it doesn't click as well as it's meant to? Now there's all this pressure to make it work and to have to understand how to let go of that and just go, what will be will be. Let's just take it day by day. I think has made things a lot easier for me as well. Of course, like you've talked about on your podcast, what it is to be a perfectionist and to want to kind of tick boxes Mm. and have goals and be really happy with them. And almost be quite rigid and like, I made a decision, I'm going to now have to stick to it. Mm. So it's, I don't know, it's been an exercise in like being a bit looser with things.
0: And that can come with its own set of unknowns and uncertainty. And I wanted to get a bit of a sense of where you're at now, but let's go back a bit. And you've shared a lot of your experience and your story through your podcast, Tough Love, and through your amazing book, which is part memoir, but you explore Mm almost the senses of music and pastor and relationships and connection in your beautiful book, Love Language. Talk to me a little bit about, well, first of all, your boyfriend and and part of the reason to have that desire to want to go to LA. How did you and Magnus meet?
1: We met through a friend. So at the time I was living in Sydney, working radio, working at Triple J and my really close friend, Nina, was a DJ. And so she would go overseas and she had all these extraordinary friends in all these other countries. And she would always talk to me about this friend of hers, Magnus, that lived in New York. But I, you know, I didn't know him other than him being a name. And then one day she was like, Linda, you're single. My friend Magnus is single. I actually think you both would really get along. Here's his number. Why don't you just text him? What have you got to lose? And I was just in this kind of buoyant, hilarious mood where I went, sure, why not? we <laughs> will just text your random friend who I have, I have no idea what he's like, but one of my best friends is vouching for him, so mm-hmm. I'll just text. And then we'd started texting and then we spoke on the phone once and then we found ourselves both in LA at the same time going on years and years ago now. We've been together for almost eight years and we went on one date in LA after this kind of months of text messages and one phone call and getting along really well but, you know, not wanting to put too much pressure on it. We went on this one date in LA which ended up lasting for, I don't know, 12 hours or something and it was kind of on from there, Ally. Mm. It felt so inconvenient because we lived on other sides of the world mm. but it was so easy. It was like just meeting this wonderful friend that you were romantically interested in as well. <laughs>
0: That ease can be the gateway to that exploration for what's next. So from the start, it was a long distance relationship. Absolutely. How yeah. did yeah. how did you navigate that? Because that comes with its own sense of, am I ready for this? Is this something I'm prepared to do the work around? Mm. Where were you at at the time, or did the twelve hours of comfort and assurance kind of carry
1: you through? <laughs> I think that it was it was a couple of things. It was that I think we were both in this stage of our lives where we were both really ready to be honest, no games. No one was trying to be too coy on text messages, but no one was – you know, diving in and being like, I want to marry you, you're the love of Mm. my life, that there was a very kind of secure sense of I think we should keep talking. I think we'd like to see each other again. How do you feel about that? Me too. I'd fucking really love to do that, (laughs) (laughs) you know. And so there was like a lot of kind of organising and logistics because we were on other sides of the world. Mm -hmm. So we're talking on weird different time zones and finding when we could have leave with, you know, my work contract at the ABC was really rigid but I could find little windows of time where I could jet off overseas to see each other again and meet his parents and him come and meet my parents. But I remember us saying to each other, you know, we don't have to make any long-term grand gestures and promises and we have to just take this day by day, week by week, Mm -hmm. as long as we're making each other's days happier in the meantime with these phone calls and, you know, short-term commitments to each other, then let's keep this going. But if at any time it feels like you don't want to be a part of it anymore, then let's just be really honest about that. So I think it was that sort Mm -hmm. of promise to be open and kind to each other in the meantime and not have to, make this massive promise of, well, what are we going to do? Who's going to move overseas? How are we going to make it work? But just knowing that, okay, I really like speaking to you today. Let's do it again tomorrow.
0: And there's an honesty and openness in that, that you have to reflect yourself. You have to know yourself well enough to then be able to speak that and go, yeah, no, I didn't like that and I think we should end it or yes, (laughs) let's go. Let's go again tomorrow. Yeah. When was the point where you went okay, I'd like us to be in the same country or <laughs> in the same postcode? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it was like we toyed with the concept of it when we'd gone back and forth for a few months and I had a really hectic work contract which kept me in Australia but I think we were both going, okay, this is what we want to do. We do want to be together together where do we want it to be? Do we want it to be in Australia? Do we want it to be in America? If we want it to be in America, where do we want it to be? And LA kind of, because at the time he was in New York, but LA felt like a place that was really kind of doable for both of our careers and for our lifestyles. It's sort of similar to what Sydney is like in terms of, you know, the sunny weather. Mm. It was only one flight if I wanted to be hopping back and forth to see family. And so it was this idea of, okay, if we're still happy, we're still in love, let's, you know, let's think about what it might feel like if, I was to move overseas because for me, I've always felt the draw card to move overseas and live overseas. And like, I talk about that in the book where I quit working in radio in Australia one time to move overseas with an opportunity and like live in London for a few years. So for me, I have always been intrigued with, okay, I do want to live overseas again. I would really like that to be LA. I could see myself working in media and doing things that are in Los Angeles. Can I try and make this work? And then It was a slow but very steady decision to quit my job and feel really happy about that because I'd worked for so long in Mm. radio as well. So it felt like the right time to change to something else as well. And I wanted to be doing more podcasting, I wanted to be able to, as I am today, record in a wardrobe (laughs) and talk to anyone from around the world. There's like a real flexibility in like being your own boss and not having to go to the same, Mm -hmm. you know, building or studio every day. So there was a real freedom in deciding to do that. And it was almost like meeting him and our relationship and having this potential of, I think I do want to be overseas again, was the right catalyst for me to quit my job at that time. But then, of course, you know, the pandemic happened and I wasn't (laughs) able to do it for an extra three years. So, (laughs) you know...
0: The grand plans that we have, right? Yeah. And it was such an extraordinary time because always in amongst uncertainty and with travel, the cost of letting go of a career that you really have invested mm-hmm. in to go and explore life in a new area, new vicinity, in a career, in a new way, there's always this kind of ripcord that you could have get on a plane and go home if it doesn't work out. Yes, But that was taken exactly. away. Talk to me about what did you learn about long distance relationship in a pandemic. So you'd done it without the pandemic. Wow. But what yeah, big question, Ali.
1: Big question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so what was funny was people would come up and they'd say this thing where they'd go Oh, you guys are so good at this now. This must be a breeze because you've been doing long distance already. And I would go, no, this is messed up that we have to keep doing it. Like we were ready. We were done. We had been Yeah, we've been done our counting time. Da- We've done yeah, our been, been counting down the months, we had been, you know, oh, Linda's finally quit her job. She's done the farewell. Mm. I've gone and had brunch with all my best girlfriends. Like I've done it. We were ready to get out of it. But yes, we had gotten very good at long distance. We had gotten very good at what it's like to carve out time in your day when you're both working on opposite Mm. ends of, you know, the hours and you're like, okay, I'm going to take a break at 1pm, which is at 7pm your time, so let's, you know, spend 40 minutes and catch up on our day. So we have gotten really good at that when it was pre-pandemic. During the pandemic, what we learned about long distance was... I think like so many people did because, you know, even if you're in Melbourne and you're in intense lockdowns and you couldn't see your best friends, what you learn is how much you actually rely on those conversations and how much you care about real connection, even when it's only through a screen, even when all you want is to desperately sit in silence next to someone in your bedroom or just have a hug at the end of the day. You really want that But you can't get it. So, the next best thing is you can hang out, you can talk about your day, you can share your frustrations with the person that is really invested in you. And when you are in love with someone that's not in the same house as you and you're separated and you can't see them again, I guess it's still the long distance relationship means so much more because you're having to talk through those really hard times. And you've got someone on the other end that's got even more time to listen to you Mm. and to kind of prove that you're both worth that weight and if you can get through that thing, then maybe you can get through other things. And we'd already gotten quite good at, okay, well, where are some ways that we can still surprise and put effort into our relationship? What can we do on each other's birthdays when we're not together? And that was almost more pronounced when we were in the pandemic because – the things that you could do were even more limited Mm. and you have to find ways around it. There's no kind of extraordinary, well, I'm going to buy you a ticket and let's do this grand gesture and I'll meet you at our favourite restaurant in New York or something. It's, I'm going to send you on a wild goose chase by looking at Google Maps because I can see where you're walking through the park and, you know, we'll have this great conversation along the way and I'm going to send you the food that you were talking about that you liked from the restaurant that you love that's around the corner from your house like there was little things that could make us still really present and show up for each other I think that's what long distance taught me through the pandemic and trying to hold on to that when almost that long distance magic in quotation marks is gone Like you still want to be putting that amount of effort in. You want to transfer that effort to even when you do have the mundane bits of being in the same home together.
0: Yeah, yeah. The threads of creativity and presence that you describe are important in any relationship and in amongst, as you say, the mundane, the boring, (laughs) the unknown, the 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 stuff that pisses you off, finding those What did you learn about like how you need to be loved or, you know, your Mm. own expression of love in that relationship through those threads of presence? Like even though you haven't got someone physically in front of you, which Mm. is just hard, there can be a presence through Phone calls, FaceTime, Zooms that you can't get anywhere else because you're sitting on the couch and yes, you might be present, but you're on your phone or you're distracted or... (laughs) Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. There's a
1: level of like thoughtfulness that comes into being because I feel like it's really pronounced if you don't care in long distance Mm. because the ways that you communicate are so kind of tangible, like you're texting each other or you're on a phone conversation. You can really tell if someone's not engaged, whereas... I don't know if I'm having dinner with someone and they're not really engaged, like you said, if they're on their phone or they're not really Mm. asking questions, it's almost, it's like easier to slip through the cracks or something like that. But you can really tell if you're in a conversation with someone and they're not asking you questions or they're, kind of sound like they're rushing or something like it's almost like you can really start to pick up on the nuances of the way that someone's brain works or the the tone and the mood and the sound of their voice mm-hmm. so you do end up really relying on that it's almost like you know when they say you should close your eyes when you eat because then your senses of like taste really kind of light up it's almost like when you can't hug someone or you can't be in the room with them you can't forgive those other parts so all you're hearing is the voice and you you're going oh, what's wrong? I can I can hear something's wrong or something's bothering you or is there something you want to say? I don't know. There was something really kind of beautiful in that. Now I've forgotten your question. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it was a woven in statement and question, but the question was what did you learn about what you need? Oh,
1: what I need. Expression yes. Of love? So what I learnt that I need is I do need that quality switched on brain time. Mm. Yes, I definitely need a cuddle. Yes, there's almost nothing that I love more than being fed something in bed while having my hair stroked. But what I really do need to feel loved is that quality time where my partner is curious, curious and compassionate about what my day holds, how I feel about it, the struggles that I'm having, and vice versa and knowing that sometimes I want advice and sometimes I just want to vent and being able to pick up on those qualities is like I think really what I need to feel loved.
0: When we can know that about our partner or the people that we're with Mm. and it makes it easier for them to give that, there's real magic in that as well, did you also get a sense of what Magnus needs, like so that that is something that you can share and I guess provide and and be a part yeah. of in that space as well?
1: I think there's some mutual qualities that we both need, and I, I almost think it's you know essentially just a human condition thing where everybody wants to feel seen and heard and loved. So in the same way that I want someone to be curious about my day, or I'm so curious about his and there are some days where, you know, he'd be frustrated with work or with the fact that he's scared to go for a run in case someone was going to breathe on him during the pandemic, you know, like all those fears and things that ruminate in your head. So I think that I learned that he also wants that quality brain time. He also wants that almost. I remember hearing this term where this guy was describing his wife as his design partner, where she was the person that he looked to to give him honest creative feedback about the work that he was doing. Like she was this trusted confidant where not only would he talk to about like general emotional stuff in his personal life, but he could look to her and go, okay, give me your honest opinion about this piece of writing that I've done or this thing that I'm doing. Like I I want you to be my like brain's trust. So I think I've learnt that I want to be that for him and he wants me to be that for him. But I've also learnt that we are different in that I want words of affection, like, even when we're not together. Whereas he, I think, honestly couldn't care less. <laughs> Whereas I'm on a video call and I'm like, I want you to tell me that I look cute today. I yeah, want you to what do you yeah. think of my outfit? And he's like, yeah, 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 you always know I love you. And I'm like, no, but I want to hear you say it. Whereas he couldn't just care. wouldn't, couldn't care, couldn't care less you
0: know. I love how you you keep telling him, he's you're so cute, and pause.
1: (laughs) It's just going over his head. I'm like waiting for it to come back the other way. I'm like, hello, this is what I need. So I've learned that I've got to be quite direct. I'm like, okay, sometimes I'd be actually really annoying and go, "Eh, give me a compliment. And he's like, I love you very much. I'm like, no, give me a compliment about something else you love about me. I know
0: I think that is completely okay <laughs> I have definitely told my husband at times uh, a bunch of flowers about now would be perfect and see and I you love know you've got to be direct just yeah. as much as if I didn't know they were coming it does not matter whether I've asked for them or not <laughs> Still I agree. Amazing.
1: you got to know your needs,
0: yep. Allie. Totally, totally. In both tough love and love language, you talk about the spectrum of love. And we've obviously spent a fair bit of time talking about your relationship, but Love comes in all sorts of forms and through all different relationships in our life. And a big part of understanding love was through your upbringing. You have an Italian dad and a Chinese mum, which comes with all sorts of, even outside of love, but just expectations Mm. as a kid growing up Mm. from those two cultural worlds. What did you learn about expectations? What was expected of you growing Mm. up in that cultural climate?
1: My gosh. So that's big. And, you know, as I was saying before, I, I think as I've gotten older, and particularly just in the last, I reckon, year of coming to move overseas to LA, I've really had to learn, like, what is it to have expectations? What is healthy? What doesn't feel healthy for me? Because I think I did grow up with this idea of expectations of doing well, of being good, you know, in quotation marks, of what it means to to be expected to be a good kid, to be a good girl, a good student, a good worker. And I think for me, that really transferred into my adult life. I remember being a kid and expecting certain things, even in like year four, year five. How, how old are you then? Eight or nine mm. years old, something like that. I remember thinking, you know, oh, I'm expected to get into a good high school. If I don't, my parents are going to be really upset. My parents can going to be upset with me. And it kind of came from this expectation from my family it kind of came from I think there's just such a combination of things where both my parents are immigrants and there's that sort of feeling of we're here for a better life we want our kids to have the life that we didn't have you know both my parents didn't get the chance to finish school to have a long like a high school education to have all those things and you really absorb that and like hearing those conversations knowing that what they've given up to come here mum from Malaysia dad from Italy and it was like i had a lot of cousins and my older brother and everyone was a really good student everyone got into these like selective high schools to do really well and i remember seeing the marks they would get in high school and in primary school and yeah, even as, you know, an eight or nine-year-old, I remember thinking, oh, when we get our school tests back, I better be number one. And and I would expect that I would be number one or number two. And so when I would get those sorts of results back, I'd feel this, like, sense of just such relief mm. that I hadn't stuffed up. So it wasn't like this, oh, wow, I've done well. It was this, oh, thank God I haven't stuffed up.
0: I don't have to carry the shame of not good enough or, yeah.
1: Yeah. And like constantly comparing myself to, oh, was my brother the ducks of his school when he Mm. was at this age? Or if I don't get, I better get that, you know? And I just thought that was really normal.
0: You also paint the picture of really both sides of the family and the role expectations that were in play. You share some beautiful, I guess, stories of dinner with your nonna and nanna, mm. nonna and nonno and nana. Nono and Nono. The roles that people played at those dinners, who was expected to do what and when and and how those meals happened and there's a point in the book where you also talk about how that was also reflected in your Chinese-Malaysian mm. family. And, mm. and it was almost, you know, seeing the similarity of both of those from a role expectation. What were some of those values that I guess those cultural worlds shared around what your role is, My gosh, gender, yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. and how you operate within those?
1: Oh, absolutely. They are... I can only speak to my lived experience of it, but from what I could see, these two families, these two cultures that my parents belonged to, so dad with the big Italian family, mum with the big Chinese family in Malaysia, were literally identical in that value system, that framework of loyalty to family above all else. From the moment you're born to the moment you die, you are loyal to the family around you. Everything you do is to serve the family. It's to serve, to have that sense of duty. And there's such a pride in that, this sense of pride of, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to put a down payment on my house for my kids. I'm going to help my kids go through this. And then you know, as you get older, then you look after your parents and there's just this full kind of circular framework of looking after your kids or looking after your parents Mm. in both of those cultures and just the total value in that, like, no one is alone, no one goes off on a tangent, everybody kind of sits in that framework. And there's a real beauty in that because it means that you're all so close-knit and you really feel like you're part of this clan, like you've got this clan that's there to support you through everything, but it does mean there is that expectation of kind of where you've been born in that clan. And, you know, you mentioning gender, I definitely felt those gender roles And when you grow up, you just kind of inherently absorb them. Like, oh, yeah, all the women clean and cook and look after the table and we, you know, top up the men's wine glasses and all the men, of course, sit. You know, it was even down to like where we'd sit at the dining table at my nonna's house, which was that all the men sat kind of crammed in to the, all the seats on one side of the table against the wall because all the women had to sit on the other side of the dining table so we could get up and, and go to the kitchen and get condiments or extra sauces or extra napkins for the table. And you just kind of absorbed that. And it was only when I kind of got a bit older, I was like, hey, why isn't my brother helping me with the dishes? You know, <laughs> what? what's going on? You know, what, what's happening here? And so that stuff has like slightly changed over time. But I know that I have definitely sponged that up and- you know, there's me at the moment that still wants to be that first person that stands up before people have finished eating, going, okay, is am I ready to clear the plates yet? Does anyone else want to top up of, of anything? It's yeah. really like I've inherited this full-server sort of vibe in a way. <laughs> I love how
0: you describe in the book as well that that means you have to eat really fast so that you can be... <laughs> oh, my God, you've
1: got to eat so fast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Woof it down so because you got duties and yes. things to go into. Yes, yes, yes. Your
1: your parents
0: divorced when you were 18. And I guess to continue that thread of duty, mm. you saw that with your mum coming back to you know she had moved out living somewhere else, but she would come back into the house to clean and cook and kind of serve mm. and use this statement of duty despite divorce and that being you know at the time almost just part and parcel of you know how she would kind of operate you started to talk about i mean what we can do as we move into our kind of early 20s is see what our parents have done through the eyes of what do I want to be doing and what's serving me and what do I want to let go of around that. How did Mm. you navigate some of that wrestle where you say there's this inherent sponge of being the server but also this kind of individuality of Mm. who am I and how do I want to operate and what do I want to push against around that? How did you navigate the push and pull, the tug of war for your own kind of sense of identity around duty and inclusive, I guess?
1: I think, as you said, it's picking up the things that we that we want and being conscious of the things that are not so much for us. So for me, yeah, I remember seeing my mum come and do that sort of duty despite divorce. That was really heartbreaking. Now when I look back on it, the way that, you know, as the kind of good woman of the household, even though mum and dad weren't together anymore, She was still, and I'm not saying it was the wrong thing to do, but just seeing the sadness of that and having my mum still come back and be that, have to really play into that housewife mentality of having to clean the house, having to cook, having to serve us still. I look back on it and it was really quite sad. And then me as, as a woman now, as an adult woman in a relationship with a man, I see us, I see me and my partner as real equals. And so I think while I actually quite enjoy being a server, like I Mm. actually take, I don't know, there's something so beautiful in like setting a table, cleaning up the food. Like I really enjoy that stuff. I'm passionate about food. I'm passionate about like the household in a way. But I know that there is such a kind of equality chip on my shoulder that's going, I'm doing this, but I expect my husband to be doing it as well. So I'm doing it conscious of if you don't get up and help me with this, I'm gonna shoot you a dirty look. Essentially. (laughs) And we'll talk about it. Which he's (laughs) very well he's very well aware of. And actually a few years ago when my partner had come to Australia and we were like, you know, he stayed for a month or something in my apartment. I think there was one day where we'd had lunch and I got up you know, just straight away, got up, started cleaning, cleaned the dishes and everything. And I think he just like kept watching the TV show that was on. And I think this is me learning that I actually need to say if something's annoying me or if something's like getting under my skin, because I could have just said, hey, can you help me with this thing? Because some people just aren't as conscious of it as you are. Mm. And I was like, I can't hold on to this resentment. Like, he has no idea that I'm being pissed off, that I'm deep cleaning <laughs> the kitchen sink. You know, he's enjoying the show that we were both just watching together. So I actually needed to say that to him with tears in my eyes. And he's like, why didn't you just tell <laughs> just tell me off? <laughs> you know, so it's, we it's, learn it's these learning things. that stuff. <laughs> we learn these things. We learn these things. They, You know, they can't be mind readers.
0: And some of those skills and learnings carry over into other relationships. Your love story with your mum has been a tenuous one mm. and is now a beautiful one. There are elements where she's part of your Tough Love podcast, which is just so delightful. <laughs> <to> have <laughs> what have you learnt about love through your relationship with your mum and how you've navigated mm. some of those shifts and changes?
1: It's really progressed a lot through the writing of the book, through me, I think processing what our sort of love language is and how we show love to each other and just particularly how she shows love to me. I think I've learnt a lot. And
0: How had you interpreted that earlier, like prior to kind of processing in terms of how she shows love?
1: just frustrated. Why are you trying to, you know, control parts of my life? Why do you want to be so involved? Yes, I get it. You're my mum and you really care, but this is so frustrating to me. You know, there was Mm. a real frustration there that I hadn't let go of. And now there's a real acceptance. And I think it's come from both sides. It's come from the side of me understanding more how the cogs in her brain work, why she is the way that she is, why she's felt the need to look after me in that way or look after people in her life what her upbringing more so was like, which I always had a bit of an understanding of, but just her talking through, and I write a bit about it in the book, but just talking through what her life was like growing up in Malaysia, that feeling of being in that sort of fight or flight mode of you've got to be tough, you've got to look out for yourself, you've got to be strict, you've got to, you know, there's no flexibility, you've got to do well, that sort of expectation, like understanding where she comes from now and understanding how she wants to look after people has really helped me accept why she is the way that she is and kind of endears me to her in that position. And I think similarly, she has seen me grow up a lot in the last few years. I think where she's gone, oh, okay, I think I am learning to trust you. And she's finally also learning how to hold me a little loosely because i think what her and i have both learned is that when we hold each other too tightly that's when there's that the frustration squeeze. but when yeah. when there's that squeeze but mm-hmm. when but when we hold each other a bit loosely that's when we can have real quality conversations that's when we actually do connect we could talk about bigger things that aren't just logistics when did you last wash your car when did you last wash your hair your fringe is looking a little bit long like when we get out of that when we snap out of that mentality we've gotten so much closer and I I think it's yeah her accepting me for who I am and being able to trust that mum I got this I'm okay
0: and that's big to let go of the 11 year old 13 year old (laughs) 15 year old version of you right and to be really yeah part of yeah who you are now Big part of the theme, not only in the book is navigating and exploring the expression of love, but also in tough love is navigating uncertainty and the unknown. Mm. We don't know what's next, we don't know what's around the corner. And for so many people listening, Uncertainty has been part of our world for the last few years, but it still is in a lot of ways. What are the things that you or do you have non negotiables that help you feel grounded when everything else around you feels like it's uncertain? What are the things that kind of bring you back to you as you navigate places of sitting in the unknown?
1: I think it's the alone time that I crave because when I can't control all the things that i want to control and when i can't make those plans and i'm trying to let go of those expectations the things that i can feel powerful in are such simple silly things it's going for a long walk it's listening to podcasts it's reading a book listening to an audiobook and i do these things called like a stir fry moment that's my kind of non-negotiable that. it sounds Tell so me. silly <laughs> It's so silly, Ali, but it's like this thing. I think I started doing it during the pandemic where I was like, I've had a shit day. I don't know when I'm going to be able to get this job done or do this certain thing or see Magnus, my boyfriend, again. But I'm just going to give myself a stir fry moment tonight, which is where I'll just, like, put some rom-com on, on my laptop, sit it on the kitchen bench put on a face mask and make a massive stir fry for dinner. I think because stir fries are so nostalgic for me because mm-hmm. I'd always think of my mum stir frying or making like Chinese food in like a really big wok and having this steaming pile of veggies for dinner. I think there's something in like the taste of that food, doing it on my own so I can do it whether I'm with my boyfriend or whether I'm on my own, but there's something so lovely about doing that on your own, cooking your own meal, sitting and enjoying that meal that the rest of the world can be going to hell. But I'm like, but this is my meal and I'm safe and I'm okay and I love it and it's delicious and I'm going to have some chocolate after dinner and that is my non-negotiable. I am having a kick-ass, simple little meal at the end of the day and that's it.
0: A stir fry moment. I love that. It's my
1: stir fry moment. I'm like, you know what? That's what I'm doing. Leave me alone.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it is that it's the anchor in the unknown. And, of course, because I love a metaphor, I also go to my brain goes to a stir fry. Some of the best are you just grab whatever you've got in the fridge, right? Like so it's just whatever elements you've got at that moment, you gather it, you put it together and you can create something from that.
1: Exactly. You just savour it. You go, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna crack an egg in here. I've got some leftover bok choy. I've got, I've got lettuce. I'll chuck in lettuce, chuck in some mushrooms. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's just something that I found so soothing, especially during lockdown where I was like, everything's so uncertain. What can I do? I'm going to go for a big walk. going to listen to a lovely podcast. And I'm just going to come home and have a stir fry moment.
0: Those small moments is just so, so important. So key. As we're navigating those, your podcast series, Tough Love, is extraordinary. It's a full-blown production experience as people kind of tune in, and we're going to put all the links so people can tune in. What have you enjoyed about the creation of that? And I guess really the sharing of your story Mm. through that podcast.
1: Oh, it's two-pronged. So... On the one hand, I just enjoyed the creation of it from a really technical, nerdy aspect Mm. because I love the dorkiness of being able to edit things in a funny way or put together like a music bed that suits the mood and record the scenes so that they sound really three-dimensional and like kind of like a fictional story or a documentary. So for me, that was really inspiring to try and push myself out of because I said, you know, I'd been doing radio for years wanted to do something that sounded different that was a new challenge for me so technically I loved learning that and then the content of it was so different to being on Triple J talking about music interviewing artists about their albums to explore something that felt so much closer to home closer to my heart intimate raw as hell which I would never have gone into before but feeling like it was the right time for me to do that, that for me has actually taught me so much. Like the lessons that I learned and that I continue to learn in each of those episodes are things that I genuinely have been challenged with or struggle with. And it's really taught me so much. And I've been like honored to be able to turn it into a a public entertaining thing that other people can enjoy as well.
0: I certainly know for me even these conversations and the, the right. podcasts I do is so selfish in so many ways. Right, <laughs> it's so it's selfish. It's for me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly all the problems I'm talking about where I'm like how does one yes. deal with I'm like one is me I'm the problem I'm how do I fix it I'm a, if one is a people pleaser how would one or how would one get a better work-life mm. balance you know, all of these things
0: let me put that into place yeah. and it's perfect because that's also then what connects to your audience and and people listening love language the book has been out for a little while what are you hearing from people that are reading it or sharing their what are they loving the most what uh, what are they getting out of the experience of the book
1: I reckon there's two really popular ones that come up one is an identical kind of childhood into adulthood feeling around Mm -hmm. family and expectations and sort of people pleasing in that way like oh my god your mum is my mum, (laughs) you know, that sort of your family is my family. This is how I felt, you know, growing up with these kind of big clashes between how I've, you know, had these expectations pulled on by family, how I've absorbed them into my adult life. That's been a really big one and particularly like around the cultures, like a lot of like Asian cultures, lots of kind of like very sweet younger versions of myself have <laughs> been coming oh, out of wait. the woodworks yeah. and sending the the dms and the long emails and then the other one that has been coming up a lot is i talk about three relationships in the book one is the long distance one with magnus which is the, also the subject of tough love one is one that is like very very kind of an unhealthy relationship. And then the other one is the long-term relationship that I found really hard to get out of because I felt so scared about disappointing the person and disappointing the people around us that I just kept kind of going on and almost like people pleasing through this really long-term, almost decade-long relationship. And then finally, sort of having the strength to be honest and get myself out of it that's been the one I think that's struck a chord. It's that feeling of people that have been in that similar position to stay in a relationship for fear of disappointing the people around them if they were to end their marriage, end an engagement, break up with their long-term partner, which was interesting. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I went into writing the book thinking, you know, obviously I want to write this so that people can relate to it, but it's really striking what people come back with and how similar people's
0: stories are yeah the permission the similarities the the sense mm. of I think people connect to the emotions even if the situation or the context is different that's the similarities exactly. that we it yeah. ties us together before yeah. I come to my final question where else can people connect with you follow obviously we'll put up the links for tough love and the book love language oh, yeah. what's exciting you about what you're doing next or where where can people connect with you
1: I am on Instagram at Linda Marie Gliano, probably have to check the spelling, (laughs) it's a a doozy. Tough Love is also on Instagram as well at Tough Love Team and so those are basically the two places that I would really be posting heavily about the book and about work and just about funny little life things. And then what's exciting me about the next thing? Well, we're rolling out the new season of Tough Love, which is really fun and We've figured out sort of the season finale of where this season ends and then how to start the next one. So that's That's pretty exciting. And then I think I'm gonna get back into some more writing. So watch this space. Who knows? Who knows what we're gonna bring out? Mm. Watch this space, read this space, (laughs) audio book the space, whatever you want.
0: Stir fry (laughs) it as we're listening. (laughs)
1: <laughs> stir fry. Give yourself a stir fry moment. And a stir fry moment can be anything for you. It might be yes. a massage. It might be going for a run, but it's your stir fry I moment.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely taking that away. I've just loved everything about this conversation, Linda. The name of this podcast is called Standout Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you mm. to live a standout life?
1: Oh, my gosh. I think to live a standout life, it's to be in tune with... What it is that you need to make you happy, to be unafraid of disappointing the people around you, to be motivated by what is keeping you curious and passionate, and to push that further. And also to keep the company of the people that make you feel like your best self. As simple as that sounds, the friends that really nourish you the partners, the family. You really get to choose your own family, I think, in this life and that's really important.
0: And that requires an investment and a consciousness. It's not simple. No. It does require a full body intention (laughs) to connect with those people. I'd sign up for all of that. Thank you. I've loved this, Linda.
1: Oh, it's been such a pleasure speaking to you, Ali.
0: If you've enjoyed this conversation, then let's keep the conversation going. The main place that I hang out is on Instagram at Pally Hill, A-L-I-H-I-L-L. One of the ways you can continue to support me and the team behind the podcast is if you could take two minutes just to rate and review Standout Life Podcast on whatever platform you are listening to. You can also subscribe to the podcast so you'll be notified when new episodes come out. And if this conversation is one that you know that someone in your world would get huge amount of value out of, then please share share it with them or maybe share it on your socials once again thanks so much for tuning in for your ongoing support and for joining me in exploring what does it really take as always this is standout life podcast and
1: i'm ali hill